Good morning. Would you stand with me? Come on, everybody stand. How many would love for the Lord to speak to you today? I have great news. I have 100% accuracy that His Word will be spoken here today. Now all we need to do is to engage with His Holy Spirit, who is the teacher of the church, to implant that Word inside of our lives, that we would not be the same. How many want that to happen in your life today? All right, let's lift your hand up. Father, we come now in the name of Jesus. We recognize that the words of a man are worthless, but the words of God are priceless. And so we position our hearts before you, that you would plant inside of us your words, the words that were breathed by your very heart, by your spirit. We ask you to encounter us. We ask you, Lord, to take away every distraction, every hindrance that would keep us from receiving what you want to say to us and that we would receive and our heart would be good soil that would produce 30, 60, and 100-fold fruit for your glory is our prayer. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've got three main reasons for the message I want to speak this morning. The first one is that the culture in which we live, the age in which we live, pushes hard against this truth. And so we need to stand up and own it. The second reason is that in the church, from my observation at least, it's largely ignored and not discussed. For that reason, we need to stand up and talk about it. The third reason, which is the most compelling for me, is what we experienced in worship this morning, and I call it the inconsolable longing inside of my heart. When my daughter, Carissa, was a little baby, Diane was in the kitchen making dinner. She was in the playpen. She started to fuss and cry. Inconsolable. So like a good dad, I got up out of my chair. I brought her three or four toys, stuffed bear, Lego something, something, something else. Put them in there. Went back and sat down. She kept fussing and proceeded to take the toys one at a time and throw them out of the playpen. Still crying, still fussing, still screaming. You know, in that moment, that was a God moment for me because the Lord spoke to my heart and He said, you're like that. He said, you'll never be satisfied with the toys of this world. Because what I put inside of your heart is a longing for me and for eternity, and nothing of this world can ever satisfy it. I don't know if you have experiences where you just feel that inconsolable longing. It's like Allison was singing this morning. It's the bride calling, and it's the bridegroom calling, and he's drawing on the heart. if you have those moments where you just, that longing just washes over you. I have these longings. Lord, I've got to know you more. Like, I'm so thankful for the things that the Lord is doing in our midst and in this body. And to be joined to this body, to me, is such a huge privilege. 
But I, but I have to tell you, it's mixed. The thankfulness and the gratefulness for what the Lord is doing is mixed inside of me with this inconsolable longing inside of my soul that says, Jesus, I've got to know you more than I know you. I need to know you. I've walked with you all these years, and I only know you that much, and that cry is inside of me, and it's inside of you. It might be covered up. Sometimes we get busy and we cover up of other things, but the cry's in there. In the book of Revelation, the Spirit and the bride together say, Come. Come, Lord Jesus. I've got to have you. I've got to be with you. I was created for you. Do you know that's what you were created for? Anything else is scratching the wrong itch. It won't work. You can have all the nice things that there are in the world. The Lord's been so crazily good to me. It's just, it's just stupid how good He's been to me. But those things that He gives us in this life can never take the place of the heart of the bride that is inside of you, knowing that you were created for one thing, that is to spend forever with Him in intimate and personal knowledge. And are, can you agree with me? I've, I've been walking with the Lord for a few years now. I've studied the Scripture a little bit. But the cry of my heart is, God, I only know you this much. How can I position myself? I'm constantly searching the Scripture. How can I position myself in a way where I can see you more clearly, where I can experience you more fully? It's the heart of the bride because we were made for that. None of the toys, none of the pleasures of this life. Is, I, look, a lot of them are blessings from the Lord. We should be thankful. They should be triggers for worship. When you sit down to eat a good meal at night, you should say, thank you, God. When you walk into your house out of a hot summer day into the air conditioning, you should say, thank you, God. When you go to your drawer and you pull out clean clothes, you should say, thank you, God. It's not a guilt thing, but it should be a worship thing. He's blessed us so greatly. Like Worship and gratefulness should not be a problem for the American Christian church. We are inundated with the goodness and the blessings of God. But with all of that said, there's a longing inside of you. It's like my dear little girl in the playpen. You weren't born for this. C.S. Lewis says, if there is a longing and a desire that burns inside of you that cannot be satisfied by anything in this world, then the logical reason for that is that you were made for another world. We were made for another world. And so, what I want to talk about this morning is trying to position us. See, see, my longing and our longing as elders in this body is to create as much as we possibly can to position ourselves in a way that the Spirit of God can come and move in any way that He wants to and do whatever He wants to do, whatever that means, whatever that costs, we want Him to come and have His way. If you're, if you're with that vision, raise your hand real quick. Okay, this is what we want and desire. And so this is part of that mission. 
Because there are things that help position us for the Holy Spirit to come, and we want to make Him comfortable, and we want Him to be invited into our midst. Most of all, we love you, but we're not here for you. We're here for Him. We want Him to be welcome. We want Him to be invited into our midst. So Isaiah chapter 11, if you'll turn there. Here's the title of my message this morning. Living in awe of Jesus. Subtitle is The Fear of the Lord and the Culture of Heaven. It's a subject that's not preached very often. It's huge in the Bible. Anybody have any guesses how many times the subject of the fear of the Lord is mentioned in Old and New Testament throughout? Just take a wild guess. 300 times. It is the elephant in the room. It's constantly mentioned. And um, by the grace of God, we're going to talk about it this morning because it's such a huge and beautiful subject. Okay, Isaiah chapter 11, let's start reading at verse 1. This is a very famous messianic prophecy in Isaiah. The righteous root, the branch, if you're familiar with messianic prophecies, this is a very famous one, well-known. Verse 1, then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse. And a branch from his roots will bear fruit. So the picture is you've got a tree that's been cut off. There was no representative from the line of David on the throne of Judah since 586 when the Babylonian captivity began and Judah was sent into captivity. So almost 600 years, there's a dead stump cut off. Isaiah's looking forward. He prophesies, but out of that dead stump, there's going to come a root that's going to spring forth. There's still life. The Messiah is going to rise up. The Spirit of the Lord, notice verse 2, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of of the Lord. So let me make my first point here in this passage. The dominant and decisive characteristic of the Messiah is that his life will be filled and consumed with the working of the Holy Spirit. Would, would you agree with that? So, so the picture here, follow me now, the picture here, almost every scholar that I've read about this passage, there is a sevenfold Holy Spirit. Okay, follow me here. Anybody, what is the lampstand called? What's another name for the lampstand in the tabernacle? The menorah, okay? So what does the menorah look like? Anybody remember? So there's, if I can, I don't have quite enough fingers, but if there's, there's, there's a middle stem, and then there's three branches on each side that come out like this, okay? So there's a total of how many? There's, there's a total of seven. So I'm not a huge numerology guy. I have books on numerology, and I read some of those things, and I go, really? You, 31 means, uh, like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But... Seven is pretty easy, okay? Would, would everybody pretty much agree? Like seven is pretty easy. The whole book of Revelation, seven, 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 seven. Everything seven. Seven, the number of completion, fullness, okay? So the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what does John 3, 34 say? It says, for whom God has sent, meaning Jesus, speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit, this is the Father, gives the Spirit to Jesus with what? Without measure, Jesus had the Holy Spirit in His fullness. 
How many would say amen to that? Okay, so you've got this menorah, these candlesticks. There's seven of them. There's one in the middle, three on each side. This is a sevenfold Holy Spirit. Every scholar that I know believes that this is the reference, and we're going to get to Revelation chapter 1. Okay, follow me. We're going to tie all this together. Revelation chapter 1 talks, how many have read this in Revelation 1 on many different passages? The seven spirits of God before the throne. How many go, is there really seven spirits of God? Okay, this is the sevenfold. It's the seven manifestations. It's the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And would you agree with me with the number seven, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit on the Messiah? This means the fullness of the Holy Spirit. How many believe Jesus operated and lived in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Fullness, okay? So, here's my question. If you take away, look at verse 2 again, the Spirit of the Lord, that's the central um, candlestick, rests upon Him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. So, if you took away out of that menorah, if you took away the Spirit of wisdom out of there, would that be the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Would it still be the fullness? If you took away the spirit of understanding and left the spirit of wisdom, would that still be the fullness? If you took away the spirit of counsel or strength, would that still be the fullness? If you took away the spirit of knowledge, would that be the fullness? Question, if you took away the spirit of the fear of the Lord, would there still be the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Why would... See, this is profound to me because of the seven possible ways that you could characterize the working and the moving of the Holy Spirit in the world and in lives. Why would you choose to have one of them be the spirit of the fear of the Lord? How many believe it's essential? Okay, no, you, 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 can you cut that one candlestick off and you're going to be okay? No. He, here's what happens. This is what we were talking about earlier. The, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, what the Holy Spirit does inside of people, because in John 14 through 16, he, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, He comes to do what? To take of mine into what? Come on. To take of mine into? Show it to you. To reveal it to you, okay? So the Holy Spirit is the revealer of Jesus. How many believe that? Okay, wave at me if you're following me here. Okay. The Holy Spirit is the revealer of Jesus. So part of his revelation of Jesus, and this is a central part of it, is to impart to us the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I want to define that in just a little bit because I think it's misunderstood. Part of the reason that this subject is not preached is because in our society where people have been abused by authority, where people have been beaten up by their parents, I, I get all of this. The, the whole thing of fear is they're thinking, I'm going to run from that. I'm going to hide from that. Why, why would I want to fear the Lord? There's kind of a different meaning and nuance to it. Okay, so I'm going to get to the definition in just a minute, but follow me. So, Point number one in this passage, the dominant decisive characteristic of the Messiah is that his life is inundated, overflowed with the working of the Holy Spirit. How many say amen? Okay. Number two, fear of the Lord is part of the Holy Spirit's fullness. Without it, we do not have his fullness. Can I say amen? Okay, so if we don't possess or if we don't open to or if we don't have the operation of the Holy Spirit moving in the fear of the Lord, then we do not have His fullness. Is that correct? 
Okay, so we need that to have his fullness. How many want to have his fullness flowing through this body and through your life? Okay, we got to have it. It's not optional, okay? Look at verse 3. This is so amazing. This is the Messiah. This is speaking of Jesus. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Jesus will delight in the fear of the Lord. He'll delight in it. If, can, can I make a statement? If Jesus delights in it, it must be beautiful. Would you agree with that? If Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord, why would you say this? So you give these seven expressions of the Holy Spirit's working, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord is the last one, and then he goes and takes the next verse, and he goes, but wait, for double emphasis, and he's going to delight in the fear of the Lord, Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord. So whatever it is, we'll find that out in just a little bit, whatever it is, it must be beautiful. Would you agree with me? Okay, they're just very half-hearted. So you're, you're, you're worried like a lawyer in a courtroom, he tries to get you to agree to something, then he, for the rest of the trial he beats you over the head with it. Okay, it's not going to be like that. I'm just trying to get you to see, is that true or not? If Jesus delights in the fear, you know, you know there's a beautiful... Sometimes the nuances of language are really beautiful. The Hebrew word here for delight is actually the word for smell. And the, the idea is that he breathes it in with. <sighs> Must be beautiful. See? He breathes it in brings pleasure. It's like incense. Selah. Number three, the fear, the delight in the fear of the Lord is emphasized by repetition. There's a connection. Here's, here's what I want to say today in a nutshell. There is a connection between Holy Spirit fullness and delighting in the fear of the Lord. There is a connection. There's a connection. I contend that the fear of the Lord is the atmosphere that nurtures the flame of the fire. I believe that. I believe the book of Revelation shows it and in the book of Acts. And I want to go there in just a little bit. So let me go over my three points again that I took out of this passage, okay? Everybody with me? Are you hanging tough? The dominant decisive characteristic of the Messiah is that his life is inundated with the working of the Holy Spirit. Say amen. The fear of the Lord is part of the Holy Spirit's fullness. Without it, we do not have His fullness. Amen again? Okay. The delight in the fear of the Lord is emphasized by repetition. There is a connection between the Holy Spirit fullness and delighting in the fear of the Lord. So, verse 3 again, He will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what His eyes see, nor make a decision with, by what His ears hear. So, I want you to look just in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to go there. I want to wash us a little bit with the, with the word regarding this um, topic. Revelation chapter 1, look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. And from the what? Say it again. The seven spirits who are before his throne. Chapter 3 and verse 1 says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, He who has the what? Seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, chapter 4, verse 5, 
Out of the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there are seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. Chapter 5 and verse 6, I saw between the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So the Holy Spirit is represented as sevenfold fullness of his working and his moving. Are, are we all agreed with that? Okay, this is a little bit of teaching. How many is okay with a little bit of teaching occasionally? Okay. All right, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, and then um, verse 20. Here's, here's what I want to bring out. What is, the church, what is the church's function? From heaven's standpoint, what is the church? Look at verse 12 of chapter 1 of Revelation. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned around, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle or the center of the lampstands, I saw one standing like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. Look at verse 20. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, what? The seven stars are the angels, the seven uh, of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the what? The seven churches. So listen to me. From heaven's perspective, follow, follow this. From heaven's perspective, what is the church? What is it? Come on, this is not church. It's a lampstand. Each church is a lampstand. It's got the seven, is that seven? It's got the seven flames burning. So what is the purpose of the church? What is our function from heaven's perspective to have the flame and the fire of the Holy Spirit moving and working, burning at all times, never going out, just like the menorah in the tabernacle. That fire was never to go out. From God's perspective, looking at the church, he's going, where's the fire? Where's my spirit moving and blowing? Why have you snuffed out three of the seven sticks on that? I want fire to burn because the moving of my spirit is the only hope for this generation and this age to preach the gospel and for Jesus to be made known. What are you doing? Snuffing out my candlesticks. I want fire. And so the believer's role and the role of a church and the role of elders in this body is to keep all of the sticks lit at all times. Come, Holy Spirit, do whatever you want to do. You have your way. Yeah, but that's inconvenient. It's awkward. It's, it doesn't matter. It's what we're made for. The church is the lampstand. Let the fire burn. Romans 12, 11, you might know it says, Be fervent in spirit. Other translations say, Always be ablaze with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to burn. And so if the spirit of the fear of the Lord is part of that burning, I want it. How about you? Here's my definition of the fear of the Lord, okay? You can do what you want with it. I'm the kind of guy that takes every single reference in the whole Bible and goes through and looks at it and tries to put it together and say, okay, so that's me. You can make your own if you want, but here's what I believe it is. I think there's a misunderstanding. Like I said, it's not fear like you fear a snake biting you. It's not that. 
It's not fear that makes you run away. It's not fear that makes you want to hide. It's awe. It's awe. Here's my definition. Fearing God is being gripped by His greatness and holiness and responding with awe, worship, and careful obedience. I'm putting together the, the, the verses that are in the Scripture that talk about the fear of the Lord. Fearing God is being gripped by His greatness and holiness and responding with awe and worship and careful obedience. See, here's, here's the paradox of, of the fear of the Lord. You see someone who is so overwhelmingly awesome that you dare not go closer, but you can't stop looking. And you keep moving closer with trembling, but you have to go closer because he's so compelling. He's the most compelling person and reality in the universe. And as we see him, somebody goes, well, I, that's not how I feel about God because you don't see. See, it, it's, it's awe. I know some people want to make the word fear mean reverence. And, and honestly, like for me, that just doesn't work. I don't think that works in the book of Revelation. I, I don't see a crowd of people in Revelation like, dude, they're shouting. They're falling on their face constantly. You know, there's, there's seven different times in the book of Revelation where the elders or John or somebody, as soon as they're worshiping, they fall on their face before the Lord and worship Him. Why? Because He's awesome. He's overwhelming. He's way bigger than what we've seen. That's the longing that's inside of our heart. Like, Lord, I've only tasted this little bit of you. I've got to taste more. I've smelled the meal, but I've hardly put a mouthful in my mouth. Oh, after these 40-some years. I know it's only going to be fulfilled when we stand before Him. But, but I have this conviction that God answers the hunger that He puts inside of us. And that if we keep crying, you keep, when you're laying on your pillow at night, let the tears run down your face and say, Jesus, I want you. I want more of you. When you look at a sunset, go, God, I don't know you who made the sunset, but I want to know you. Draw me closer. Vent it. He answers the cry. He doesn't want us to be satisfied. See, he wants us to be grateful always. We should be. But he doesn't want us to be satisfied with the little bit that we've tasted and think, oh, I know the Lord. When, when I hear people say that, I mean, honestly, can I just tell you something about myself? Though This is about me. I know it's, it's definitions, but like for me, it's hard for me to use the word intimacy with, with God in a sense because intimacy means to know and to fully be known. And like I feel like I only know Him so little. God, I, I want to be close to you. I want to be intimate, but like I don't know if that's the right word or not for me. You use it. I don't twitch when you say it. It's, it's all good. But for me, I'm just saying, there's such a longing and a cry in my heart, such a realization like, God, I only know you a little bit. How can I say I'm intimate with you? Like I, I, I love you. I love your precious holy word, and I love your presence. Draw me closer. I want to know you more than reverence. It's all. 
I'm going to spare you. I was going to read all seven of those occurrences where they fell down before. As soon as they see the Lamb of God, he's so awesome, they fall on their face and worship. This is the culture of heaven. Can I tell you that in heaven, the culture is that everybody's awed by Jesus because everything else is blanked out in comparison to his weight. I was reading something recently. A lady and her husband were up at the, in the Redwood Forest in Northern California looking at 250-foot redwood trees that were over 800 years old. And she said it just struck her when she looked down and saw an 8-year-old boy with his iPad playing games and never looked up at the trees at all. I just wonder if we stand in a forest like that. Come on, man. These trees were here when the Magna Carta was signed. <laughs> oh, yeah, cool. Jesus. It's awesome. We've got to position ourselves in a place where we can see Him better, where we encounter him more. That's my heart anyway. Sometimes we seek. I feel like we seek things in the wrong place. We're scratching the wrong itch, I call it. We, we seek significance. We seek affirmation. We want to know what our identity is in Christ. And I, I preach that stuff. I believe in it. But can I tell you that there's a first thing? And the first thing is actually seeing him for who he is. Do you know we find out who we are only when we're looking at him and seeing him for who he is? That's really when we find out who we are. It's, it's not about making a better you. It's about getting a better view. Because when we see him, everything about our life comes into line. You know what we realize our real identity is? I was made by you and for you, and I can never be satisfied without you. That's our real identity. I'm going to marry you. I'm going to live with you forever. I mean, that song rocks me. I am yours, and you are mine, and we'll be together forever. If that doesn't rock you, you need to go back to the altar. You ever read in Revelation chapter 20 what's going to happen, the alternatives that are out there? You know what he rescued us from? He's going to take out the books at the great white throne judgment and everybody's going to be judged by their works. There's no hope in that. I'm going to perish forever in the lake of fire. It's going to happen. God, why did he rescue us from? God, why did he rescue us from? He took the gallows and he put the rope around his neck when we were getting ready to be dropped on the platform. He said, no, I'll take your place. That's real. We're going to be with him forever. But this is no small stuff. I have a strong suspicion that no one in heaven struggles with self-esteem issues. <laughs> because the issue of identity, our identity is clear. We were made by him and for him. The most important revelation that every Christian needs, this is, this is it, the most important revelation that all of us need is it's not about us. <laughs> what, what a freeing revelation that is. How we struggle and how we try to gain our identity and our, from affirmation and from people and from doing and this and that. 
And Jesus says, you'll never get a greater identity than this. I chose you because I wanted you to be mine. And you're going to be with me forever and ever. I love the rewards of the overcomers. In the book of Revelation, chapter 3 is my favorite. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. What can that possibly mean? And then you find out later in the book of Revelation, there is no temple because the Lamb is the temple. What does it mean to be a pillar in the temple? You're going to be planted in closest proximity to the Son of God forever. There's nothing that can compare with that. All the toys on this earth are junk. They're junk. Fearing God is being gripped by His greatness and holiness and responding with all worship and careful obedience. He's holy. I was reading just this week, just reading devotionally Exodus chapter 20 where the Ten Commandments were given, where God calls everybody there together. And He tells Moses at the end of that, I had forgotten this and it just struck me and I started to laugh. He said, when you build an altar, God's telling Moses, when you build an altar to me, be careful that you don't use cut stones because if you put your instruments on there and wield your chisel and your instruments and you chisel that out, then you're going to defile it. <laughs> don't touch it. That's awesome. That might not be awesome to you. To me, it's like, God, you're, you're holy. Like Everything we touch, there's a little taint to it, isn't there? He doesn't want us to think, look at the altar that I made. The presence of God is coming here because I chiseled that out. <laughs> look at my gift. The presence of God. <laughs> no, in spite of us, at the end of the day, there's one who is, this is what the song of heaven is, is it not? There is one who is worthy. There's only one. The angel stood up on the precipice of heaven and the earth and called out with a loud voice, Who's worthy to open the seal, the book and its seals? And no one answered, and John wept greatly. And one of the elders said, Don't weep. The lion from the tribe of Judah has overcome so as to open the book and its seals. There's only one. Heaven knows it. There's only one. And at the end of the day, every crown comes off and gets cast down. You know why? Because every person who has a crown in heaven knows the only reason this is on my head is because you did it. You gave me the grace. You gave me the desire. You gave me the unction. You provided the resource. That's the only reason this is on my head. I don't deserve this. You deserve it. You did it. He's so humble. He rewards us for what he does. That's crazy. He's worthy. All right. We're getting close. Revelation chapter 14. I want to look at um, just a few verses here that talk about the fear of the Lord in, in the book of Revelation. Because there's a culture in heaven that's called the fear of the Lord. It's not, a, it's not a fear of being beaten by God. Okay, It's standing in awe of His greatness. Do you, can, can I tell you something? How many has ever struggled with the fear of man? Come on. All right. Everybody with your hand down. You're lying. I've never met anybody that was honest that said they didn't struggle with the fear of man. Never, not one time. You, you know what the only way to overcome the fear of man is? Is, is with the fear of God. Seeing, like, Jesus, like, I know that they're going to 
reject me if I say this, but you want me to say this? And you know what? You're a lot greater than they are. Like, I see enough of you to know, like, you're a lot greater. And so I'm going to say what you want. I'm good with that. Whatever it comes, it's okay. You, you can overcome the fear of man if you fear God. Do you, you know it costs sometimes to fear the Lord in the midst of a situation? The prophets sometimes were thrown in jail or killed for speaking the word of the Lord. And all throughout church history, there's been that separation between fear of man and fear of God. And the only cure for that that I know is the fear of the Lord. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. This is amazing. I saw another angel flying in midheaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Notice, what is this angel getting ready to preach? What is he getting ready to preach? Come on. The gospel. The eternal gospel. That means it's unchangeable. And he said with a loud voice, this is part of the gospel. Fear God and give Him glory because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. That's part of the gospel. God is great. God is awesome. God is worthy of worship and no man is. That's part of the gospel. Chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God. And the song of the Lamb saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God, the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Listen to this. This this is the question that baffles heaven. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? It's insanity. Who won't do that? It's only because they don't see. You alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And then chapter 19, verse 5 and 6 says, And a voice came from the throne saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. Then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude and like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, I just don't see this as being reverence. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. That's awe. That's a shout that can't be stuffed. That's seeing something that makes you cry out, this God is so great. There is no other response but then to give myself wholly to Him and to worship Him with all of my heart and soul. All right? Acts chapter 2, we're almost finished here. I just want to, I want to look at some, just a few verses. There's just four here in the book of Acts. It won't take long. But I want to look at this culture being in the early church as well and how they feared the Lord. Can I read you? Are you guys doing okay? It's not even 12 yet. How many have 10 more minutes? Can you, can you go 10 minutes? Okay. Okay. Let, let me read a quote to you from um, John Piper, if, if you don't mind, before I get into these verses. Piper said, the death of the Son of God 
and the damnation of unrepentant human beings are the loudest shouts under heaven that God is infinitely holy and sin is infinitely offensive and wrath is infinitely just and grace is infinitely precious and our brief life and the life of every person in your church and in your community leads to everlasting joy or everlasting suffering. If our preaching does not carry the weight of these things to our people, what will? Oh, that the rising generations would see that the world is not overrun with a sense of the seriousness about God. There is no surplus in the church of a sense of God's glory. There is no excess of earnestness in the church about heaven and hell and sin and salvation. And therefore, the joy of many Christians is paper thin. Did, did, you, did you hear that? See, you, 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 you cannot, we cannot grasp and understand the love of God without understanding the wrath of God. It's not possible because you don't know what you were saved from. It's paper thin. By the millions, people are amusing themselves to death with DVDs and 107-inch TV screens and games on their cell phones and slapstick worship. And yet, incomprehensibly, in this Christ-diminishing, soul-destroying age, books and seminars and divinity schools and church growth specialists are bent on saying to young pastors, lighten up, get funny, do something amusing. To this I ask, where is the spirit of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Follow me and leave the dead to bury the dead. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Some of you they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives. And this is how Piper finishes up. Would the church growth counsel to Jesus be lighten up, Jesus? Do something amusing. And to the young pastor, whatever you do, young pastor, don't be like the Jesus of the Gospels. Lighten up. Pastor says, uh, Piper says, from my perspective, which feels very close to eternity these days, that message to pastors sounds increasingly insane. It is insane. It's void. It's devoid of the fear of the Lord. You say, well, brother, look, do you like, you don't ever have fun or do, no, it's not that. It's inviting Jesus into everything that you do, and if he doesn't like it, you don't do it. You say, Holy Spirit, do you, do you like this TV program? He goes, no, I don't. I'm going to judge the world for that stuff. <laughs> oh, I probably shouldn't watch that one. It's, it's really not hard. You go, oh, that's legalistic. No, it's not. It's seen. It's not legalism. The people that cry legalism the loudest usually are the ones who don't see. Like when you see and stand in awe of the Son of God, the Holy One of Heaven, it's not hard to go, that's junk. 
that's not going to last. That, that has no, how many know that you've watched, the wait, you waited for the greatest movie that you've ever watched, and the buildup was tremendous, and you saw it, and like, how is it now? Would you have been okay if you never saw that? Or like, would you be seriously lifelong deprived of? It's lighter than froth. See, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not telling you what to do, what to watch. What, I'm just saying there's eternity and it's real and we're only going to live this long. And what we choose matters. And how we interact with the Lord matters. And how we respond to Him matters. And it matters if all seven of our candlesticks are burning. It matters. Oh, brother, I'll get along with just two. No, you won't. No, you won't. Heaven's looking and going, where are they? Show me the fire. This is the voice from heaven. Show me the fire. Is it burning? He wants it to burn. Acts 2. I want you to see the fear of the Lord in the early church as well. 2.43. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Okay, that's the New American Standard. In the margin of my New American Standard, it says literally, fear was occurring to every soul. That's what the Greek said. Here, listen, watch me. Fear was happening to every soul. What kind of fear? Fear of the Lord. Because His nearness was there and He was moving. And that flame on the candlestick was burning and it was affecting everybody in the community. Fear was happening to every soul. Acts 5, you you know there's a couple in here with Ananias and Sapphira. This is part of the deal. Verse 5 of chapter 5, as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all those who heard it. Verse 11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah. You know, you know what it did? It purified the church because it said no one dared to join themselves to them, but the Lord added daily multitudes of men and women. So the ones that the Lord added, their motives were purified. Like, hey, dude, people drop dead in that church. You lie about your faith promise for that building? You don't think that everybody in that church, when Ananias and Sapphira, one after the other, a few hours apart, fell down dead, and they took him out and buried You don't think everyone went out and said, Lord, forgive me for that thought. Like, <laughs> I didn't mean to be critical of Peter. That last sermon I criticized. I, you don't think they were doing that? Was that a good thing or a bad thing? Lord, purify me. Make my thoughts, my words to serve your glory and your holiness. See, this is seeing him as he is. That's a good thing. I know we don't want that. We don't like it. We, we, you know, studiously ignore, you know, that passage. But it's in there. Chapter 9, verse 31. Here's the paradox. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 31. So the church enjoyed, I'm sorry, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Can you see what he's saying there? Listen. They were fearing the Lord at the same time that they were being comforted by the Holy Spirit and the Lord was increasing all at the same time. How come? Because all seven sticks were burning. 
It wasn't just the fear of the Lord. That was one of them, but they were all burning. And so there was continual light and fire that was burning, and the kingdom was increasing. you got to have them all. It's a beautiful thing. If Jesus said that he delighted in the fear of the Lord, I'm going to put my vote with him. That is something beautiful. Okay, Acts 19, this is the last passage. I'm getting real close. Acts 19, verse 17. This became known, this is the seven sons of Siva when they tried to cast out the devil and the Jesus whom Paul preached. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord was being magnified. I want, listen to the connection. Listen to the connection. Fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord was being magnified. How many want the name of the Lord to be magnified? Okay, those go together. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it was 50,000 pieces of silver. It's a ton of money. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Can I suggest to you that there's an atmosphere that was created there where God was moving, God was having his way, and the fear of God fell upon a community and people were repenting of their sins in the street? Bringing their, look, they didn't go house to house searching for occult stuff. You get that? They were coming because the presence of God was convicting them even across the whole community and they were coming and repenting and getting saved. They turned over millions of dollars worth of occult stuff. It was a ton of money. The Hebrides Revival, if you know the Hebrides Islands off of Scotland, this happened in the late 40s, early 1950s. This is just one account. We could, we could read lots of different ones. But, but this is what happens. Duncan Campbell, who was one of the preachers there that the Lord used, I have known men out on the fields, others at their weaving looms, so overcome by the sense of God that they were found prostrate on the ground. Hear the words of one who felt the hand of God upon him. The grass beneath my feet and the rocks around me seem to cry, flee to Christ for refuge. That's good preaching when the rocks and the grass do it. This supernatural illumination of the Holy Spirit led many in the Hebrides revival to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ before they came near to any meeting connected with the movement at all. I have no hesitation in saying that this awareness of God is the crying need of the church today. Amen, 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 amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but this cannot be worked up by human effort. God must give it. So... That puts us in this position, and this is my question, and this is how I want to close. What would it look like for you and for me to live our life in such a way that we delighted in the fear of the Lord? Would you, would you come up, Allison? What would that look like? How many would love to see in Lakeland the Spirit of the Lord moving to where He was convicting people out on Bartow Highway, around this neighborhood, around Lakeland, to where they were falling on the ground, or they were coming to the church saying, here's my needles, 
here's my drugs. Like, I've got to find Jesus. That's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It can come upon a community. But, but let me tell you, it comes upon us first. It comes upon us first. Are you willing, can I ask you as a community, does your heart resonate with mine that we want the Lord to have his way? And do, We talk about this stuff, but here was where the rubber meets the road. Lord, am I willing to let you search me first? Am I willing to put everything? I'd say take all the marbles out of your pockets. Like if you have secret zipper pockets of stuff you don't want to show to the Lord, tear that zipper out and go, Lord, here it is. Everything on the table. Everything on the table. Are you willing to have everything on the table for his examination and purification? He doesn't come to hurt or to kill us. He comes to set us free and to get us out of the playpen. So we can be the children of God who walk in the liberty of Christ Jesus. God's got a longing for this place. Jesus has a vision for this place. I don't know about other places. I mean, I know he has it for all peoples and all of that, but I know he has a vision for this place. And I know it's bigger than what we think, and I know we talk about it. But at the end of the day, the question is, am I willing to be part of that vision coming to pass? Am I willing to let the li my life be examined by the Lord so that everything in it that doesn't stand in awe of Jesus can be removed so that he can do what he wants to do. If there's a group of people like they were in the book of Acts who are all in and saying, you know what, Lord, that doesn't matter. That's one of the great prayers that we need to learn to pray is just to say to Jesus, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. If you don't want that, that doesn't matter. What matters is you, your kingdom, eternity. What matters is that, God, I've got to know you. I've got to get closer to you. My life has got to reflect my confession and my profession. So my question this morning is, are we ready to be part of that community? See, it's not just going to happen without our participation. God's got to bring it. I'm convinced he wants to and has it in his heart. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to open the altars if you want to come, spend time with the Lord. If you need to go, you can be released. But let's pray. Let, let's not let this moment pass without God doing something substantial in our life. Father, we bow to you. We thank you for your great heart. Lord, thank you for your great heart for us, for every person in this room under the sound of my voice. Thank you for your great heart for them, Lord. You gave everything for us. And so, Father, we want to be part of the dream that you have in your heart. We want to be part of the desire that you have for this community and for the greater city of Lakeland and even beyond, that your glory would be seen and would be spread, that many people would worship you, that many would be drawn to you and would see your gloriousness and leave everything behind, leave the nets behind, leave the boats behind, leave the toys behind, and come and follow you. We want to be in that company, Lord. And we just say, whatever there is in me, I put it on the table. Father, if there's hindrances in my life that keep me from knowing you, I can't bear the thought of that. Nothing's worth that. 
I leave it. Show me. Work in me. Purge me. Do everything you want to do in me that I might be part of the flame that burns on the candlesticks. Lord, let the flame of the fear of the Lord where I stand in awe of you. I'm gripped by your greatness and I just say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't have anything greater to do than that. Let it be so. Father, let it be so in this community. Let it be so in this community. Oh God, I cry and I plead with you that you would have your way in this place that we wouldn't just talk about you coming and moving in power, but that we would invite you by our life and by our cry to come and take your rightful place and to move and not be okay with just being touched by you, but we want you to inhabit this place and us. Let it be so. God, let it be so. Let it be so. Let it be so. Lord, let it be so. Lord, we don't want to waste our lives talking about the good old days. We don't want to waste our lives talking about what was and, oh, wasn't that cool. We want you to come and have your way. God, we can't live without you. You are the air that we breathe. We can't live without you another day. We can't live without more closeness to you. You are the air that we breathe. Make your name great in this place. Make your name great in heart of the Father. Not for heart of the Father, but for your name's sake. Who cares about heart of the Father? Make your name great in my life. I must decrease, but you must increase. You are the Lord. Do what you want to do, Father. I pray for a spirit of release of all bondages of all distractions. Pray for a spirit of release that chains would be broken, that bondages would be melted away, that distractions would be shown in their true light as being worthless, and that you would shine, that we would see you, Lord, as you are. You're high and lifted up. There's no one like you. You're the only one in all the universe that's ever lived that's worthy. Jesus, 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 send the spirit of the fear of the Lord into our midst and into our hearts. Lord, let us honor you. Let us honor you in this place. Let us not dishonor you, but let us honor you. You're not an honored guest. You're the owner. You are the owner of this place. Teach us how to honor you, Father. May every song that's sung, every prayer that's prayed, every message that's preached, honor your name. May Jesus be the attraction. May Jesus be the one who's lifted up and blessed. You're worthy of glory and honor and power and might and dominion forever and ever and ever.